uh, we're having, uh, obviously this is Communion Sunday, so I'm looking forward to that. So I will try to keep my sermon short. <laughs> I love it. I love it when I say that you start laughing. It's like, oh, come on. Well, you know, we get to talk about something very, probably the most needful thing for mankind today. And uh, we're going to talk about the gospel. And it's needful. Because often as, even when we're teaching through the scriptures, I think sometimes it gets lost. It shouldn't, but I, I, I hope that I make it clear. But I like it when we have these opportunities between books. Because uh, next week, of course, we'll be starting Colossians. So uh, I will take this opportunity as we go between these books to just preach on the gospel. Just to make sure that everybody knows what it is. I was listening to a preacher the other day and uh, he said somebody had asked him uh, how he loved the church where he was pastoring. And of course, he obviously said, well, I love it. It's a great thing. And they said, well, you think everybody sitting there are Christians? <laughs> he said, well, I'd like to think so. You know. But the reality is, he said, is that I'm not so foolish because I know the scriptures to think that everybody's sitting in church, and I would say this, everybody's sitting in any church, to think that they are all born again is, is a fallacy. So the gospel's necessary not just for the unsaved, but for the church. So we don't want to neglect it is my point. We want to make sure that every person who is sitting in a fellowship effectively gets to hear the gospel and to understand the gospel because that's really what it boils down to so often I've heard Christians say man you know I was talking with somebody and they asked me well what is the gospel and I didn't know what to tell them and I was going well if you don't know what to tell them <laughs> maybe I need to tell you because so often that's what happens and so we don't want that to happen we want to look at it today open your Bibles if you will I'm going to be speaking from Hebrews chapter 2 and I want to draw your attention this morning to verses 1 through 4. And Paul says here, starts off verse 1 here as, Therefore, therefore we ought to give more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. Now I want you to take note first off here that he uses, he starts off using the word therefore. And of course it's a word of conclusion. Which refers back to the preceding statement that he had made. Of course in the other chapter. What Paul was trying to do here was to conclude everything, like I said, that he had said in the previous time, the previous chapter. And what he said in chapter 1 was that God had spoken through times past by the prophets. This is how he communicated. But in these last days, 
And man, if you ever challenge whether you're living in them, look around. But even when Paul wrote this, he was talking about his time. And so in the last days, he said, he has spoken to us by his son. And I love that. What Paul was trying to make clear is that the word of God, which was delivered through the son, Jesus Christ, is firsthand information. You remember when Jesus was only 12 years old? You know, before his bar mitzvah, he was found in the temple debating with the scholars at 12. And they marveled. They marveled at his knowledge and his wisdom. Why? Because he was the author. It doesn't matter how old the author is. When you speak to the author about what he's written, he knows it intimately. And he understood it intimately. And they marveled at him. So the word delivered by Jesus Christ was superior than to that which was delivered by the prophets. This is what the Bible's telling us. And because it was spoken by Christ, by Jesus himself, it came through the only begotten Son of God, then he says we ought to give it more earnest heed. That means pay close attention. You know, I've often told people, I said, now, Jesus rose from the dead. His resurrection was the stamp, the hallmark, if you will, of the authenticity that he was who he said he was. He was the, not only the Son of God, but he was God incarnate. And because he rose from the dead, we ought to pay a lot more attention to what he had to say. Why? Because he proved who he was. And because he proved who he was, he made what he said ultimately the most important. And this is what Paul is saying. We ought to give it more earnest heed. Take heed to it. I'm not going to ask for hands, but I certainly would ask everybody, whether you're sitting here or listening to radio, how many times have you ever actually read through the entire word of God? Word for word. And I'm telling you, you want, you're not alone if you haven't. Most people haven't. Most people don't do it. And the, you know, because we know that, which is why we here at this particular fellowship go through the scriptures verse by verse, chapter by chapter, word for word. Because I want to make sure by the time I go home to be with the Lord, if the rapture hasn't happened, that at least you can say, I've been through this much of it. And hopefully it'll be the whole Bible by the time that happens. But we need to take more heat. Some of your Bibles say must. You'll see that when he says we ought to, where the word ought there, he says some of your Bibles say must. And I like that word. I think that's accurate. You know, I'm good with that because in the Greek, it's the same word when Jesus said you must be born again. It's the same word in the Greek. It's also the same word when Jesus was... Uh, said that he must be about his father's business. You remember when he was there in the temple? I must be about my... So it's the same word. Thus we must give more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. The things that have proceeded from the mouth of Christ. Which of course in reality when you really think about it is the entire word of God. He was the author. So the utmost importance... Because it was Jesus who said that the very words that he spoke is what will judge you 
in the last day. Now, I don't know about you, but if I knew I had a court date, if I knew what the prosecutor was going to say, I'd want to know ahead of time. I'd want to know before I stepped in. I'd want to know if there had been something maybe I could have avoided. I'd want to know. And it's strange because mankind is on a collision course with judgment. He is going to judge. God is going to judge. Nobody wants to hear that, but that's part of the gospel. That's part of the good news. It's hard to know the good news if you don't know what the bad news is. The bad news is you're headed for judgment, my friend. It's going to happen. God is going to do it. And Jesus said that every man will be judged according to the words that he spoke. Every word that proceeds out of his mouth. And thus, because of that, I would encourage you, you might want to know what it actually says. So dig in, my friends. Find out what it says. It's of the utmost importance. Now, Jesus said a lot of things. Extremely important things. Jesus came saying that if you want to enter into the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. You have to. You must be. Same word. Not only must you be born again, but you must be born again through him. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes under the Father but by me. There's many people who challenge that. Challenge it all you want. You can kick, you can scream, you can say that ain't fair. Tough. Jesus said it, and he said it concerning himself. And how do we know it's true? Because he rose from the dead. Like I said, it was the hallmark, the stamp of proof that he was who he said he was. And because he was who he said he was, we need to pay more earnest attention to what he said. You must be born again. And then he went on to say that no man can come to him except the Father draw him. Wow. No man can come to me, he said, except the Father draw him. Jesus said his purpose when he came into this world was not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now there's some people out there going, well, that's right. So it doesn't really apply to me. I got news for you, buddy. If that's you, and I got some bad news. You know, the Apostle Paul writing there in Romans, in case there's somebody listening to this broadcast who might come to that crazy conclusion that it doesn't apply to you. Here's what Paul the Apostle said in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. He says, there is none righteous. Remember, Jesus said, I come to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Paul said, there is no righteous. So what does that mean? Common sense. Reason it out, my friends. It means we're all unrighteous. There is no, not one, he said. There's none that understand it. There's none that seeketh after God. None means what? Thank you. They're all gone out astray, astray, out of the way, and they're all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. Not one. Not one. And not one means not one. 
In the Gospel of John chapter 3, a very familiar chapter to some of you, Jesus dealt with the very issue of man's wickedness and his sinfulness and his condemnation that is assuredly coming. Of course, we all want to focus on John 3.16. You see it at all the football things. Well, you used to. You might not see it now. I know I won't see it because I don't watch it anymore. But you used to see it all the time. John 3.16, you know, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth on him would not perish but have everlasting life. We want to cling to that one. And it's a good one, no doubt. But if you go down a little bit in that same chapter, verse 19 through 20, here's what Jesus also said. And this is the condemnation. That light came into the world. And men loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hates the light. Neither cometh to the light lest his deeds should be reproved. So you see, according to Jesus, men like sinful roaches is the way I've always seen it. When you flick on the light, they scatter. Why? They don't want their deeds to be made manifest. They don't want anybody to know what it is that they do in darkness. And that's what Jesus does. He brings light to a dark room. And the darkness scatters. Men love darkness, he said. Man loves to judge on a curve. Have you ever noticed that? Oh, we want to judge on a curve. According to what we think is right. You know, the Bible tells us in the Old Testament, there's a way that seems right to a man. Every time I hear somebody judging the Bible, going, well, I would, and I'm going, oh, who are you? So what? I'm more concerned with what God thinks, not what some man thinks. We like to judge, but our judgment is skewed. Judgment coming from a fallen creature is reasoning twisted at best. But man will always think more highly of himself than he ought. He always does. We all do. Thus we downplay our wickedness, our own sinfulness. We, we don't like to talk about it. Let's not, you know, that's a mistake. That was a fallacy. No, no, listen. I accidentally, do you realize, my friends, there isn't anybody who can say I fell into sin that is no place found in the Bible. No, my friend, you sin all right, but you ran headlong into it. You just ran into it. You freely did. Somebody said, well, that's premeditated, Doug. I know. I know it is. Well, I didn't premeditate. Well, listen, it doesn't say how long you premeditated it beforehand. But believe me, you did. Think about it. Be honest with yourself. Most people won't. The problem, of course, is that God is not judging according to man's righteousness. Man judges on a curve. We want to judge according. I, you know, I don't know if I'd have been as honest as Ned was this morning. No, I would have. I'm just joking. I'm glad he's honest. But my point is, we do, that's what we do. You know, when, when we, we hear somebody falls into a sin or walks headlong into it, you know, we go, well, I'm glad I didn't do that, you know my sins, I mean, you know, me and Jesus got our own thing going, you know. He, I know why I'm doing mine, but boy, that other guy, he's really tough, you know. It's like the 
Pharisee in the public, and you remember that story that Jesus told. They went to the temple to offer their sacrifice, and of course the, the Pharisee stood there and said, Lord, I thank God I'm not like this man, this low life that's to my right. You know, that's the way men are. But God doesn't judge like that, my friends. It's been said, and I want you to think about this, that of all the attributes that belong to God, his omniscience, his omnipresence, his omnipotence, his justness, his love, his mercy, his grace, and all the other things that can be added to the glory of God and to what he's done. There's only one thing that the Bible repeats over and over and over again about the nature of God, and that is that he is holy, holy, holy. He is holy. And we are not. Out of all the adjectives that describe God's nature, only one is said over and over. There in the book of Revelation, in chapter 4, it says that the angels will say, He is holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. He's worthy because He is holy. We really, as people, have no idea how holy our God is. And because we have no idea how holy God is, we have no concept of how unholy we really are. How ungodly we can be. How wretched our condition is. And why God, in his justice, must judge it. We're living in a time when the penial substitution of the death of Christ is almost totally unknown within the church today. Or it's outright denied anymore. Nobody wants to talk about it. We want to think that God is all loving. And he is love. But a lot of people say, well, God's love. God loves. Yes, God does love. But God will judge sin. The late R.C. Sproul, in one of his sermons, said that as he was driving to church that morning, saw a sign that said, God is not angry. He said that is the most pernicious heresy in the church today. And I would agree with him. The great awakening preacher, Jonathan Edwards, wrote a book that many people need to read again today. It's still relevant. The title of that book was Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. You see, we're living in a time when it's all positive. Oh, don't talk like that, Doug. That'll scare people off. I'd rather scare you into heaven than to coddle you into hell, my friends. Because that's what's going on in the church today. People are being coddled. People are being not challenged as to where are you with the born-again experience of Jesus Christ. Where are you? We often wonder why we see craziness go on within the body of Christ or you know, we understand the world being the way it is. I don't judge a dog for being a dog. It's a dog. 
Dogs do what dogs do, right? But I have a little problem when a Christian does what dogs do. They only do it because it's part of their nature. But in Christ, we've been given a new nature. An entirely different thing. Today, the gospel has been reduced to nothing more than acknowledging that Jesus perhaps lived and maybe he's one of the ways to heaven. I listened to an interview yesterday. It's an old interview. It's a few years back. Oprah Winfrey. Interviewing the pastor of big church in New York. Hillsong. And she asked him. Now here's a woman who has made no qualms about making it public that she does not believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And she asked him point blank. Is Jesus the only way that I can have a relationship with God? And without hesitation he said no. No. In fact he went on and he said in fact he says you know just because somebody doesn't believe in God God still has a relationship with them. What Bible, what theology place did you study in? What Cracker Jack box did you read that on the back of? That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Jesus said, I am the only way to heaven. No man comes unto the Father but by me. He is it, my friends. You can get mad at that. You can squawk at that. You can scream and kick all the way into hell. But it will not change the fact that Jesus is the only way. And he's the only way your sins can be forgiven. I couldn't help but think when I was putting my notes together, this young man should have read John 3.36 that says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, against all unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Ephesians 5, 6. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things, the sin of man, comes the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Colossians 3, 6. For which things sake, the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience. And five more times, Throughout the book of Revelation, chapter 14, 15, and 16, he talks about the wrath of God. God is holy, holy, holy. And he is just, and he has to judge sin. He cannot just wave his hand and just ignore it. Because of his very nature, my friends, he has to judge it. You see, mankind has come to the place where he denies the wrath of God. He doesn't want to think about it. Because he has constructed a God of his own making. A God that looks like him, talks like him, acts like him. The problem, of course, is that it's not the God of the Bible. Man is a sinner. And he will pay for his sin. It is an absolute certainty. Man is on a collision course, as I said before, with the judgment and the wrath of God. 
Isaiah 59.2 points out clearly that it is your iniquities that have separated you between you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear you. It's not that he can't. He won't. Even in Hebrews chapter 1. There in verses 8 and 9, Paul says, But unto the Son he hath said, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. If you ever think, what does God think of sin and iniquity? He hates it, my friends. Why? Because he is holy, holy, holy. And he is just. And he will judge it. Our text this morning, he says, For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, which it will, how shall we escape, he says, if we neglect so great salvation? How shall we escape what? Well, by this time in my sermon, it ought to be abundantly clear. The wrath of a holy, holy, Holy God. You hear a lot of people talk today about how bad things are getting in the world. You can bank on this one, my friends. You ain't seen nothing yet. When God begins to pour out his wrath without mixture, it tells us in the book of Revelation, on an unbelieving and detestable world, Trust me, you won't want to be around to be a part of it. But how do we escape, Paul says? How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is you won't. You can't. You will suffer the wrath of God, ultimately. Your soul will be cast into the lake of fire, we are told. And the smoke of their torment, it says, will ascend up forever and ever in the presence of the holy angels. There are those who would say, and I've had people tell me, I would never serve a God like you're talking about, Doug. Oh, don't I know it, my friends. Because you serve a God of your own belly, a God of your own making. You don't want the truth. You reject the truth. You turn your back on the truth. And yet the truth stands. The truth doesn't mean whether you believe it or not. The truth is the truth whether you believe it or not. God is God. He is holy. He is holy. He is holy. And he will not conform to what you want to make him. But he loves you. And he's done all that he can to make sure that you do not receive the wrath that he is assuredly going to pour out on this world. He has made a way for our sins to be totally forgiven, wiped clean, so that you don't have to worry about that day in court. You don't have to worry about what the prosecutor is going to say. Because there is a prosecutor, my friends. It will be the devil, to be honest with you. The Bible says he is the accuser of the brethren, just like he was to Job. But God's own words will also judge us in that day. 
if it's not taken care of beforehand. The penal substitutionary death of Christ. What does that mean, Doug? Put it in layman's terms for me. Okay. It means that Jesus took your place. It means that on the cross of Jesus Christ, the wrath of God, which is assuredly coming, was satisfied for everyone whom he has called and chosen. It was satisfied, taken care of, and then removed. In fact, the Bible says that once we have come to Christ, you have moved from condemnation, which is sure, to a position of eternal life in Jesus Christ. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the good news. That's the gospel. But so many people today aren't hearing the gospel. They're hearing, oh, there's no repentance. Your sin, well, Jesus, you know, he, he's okay with that. No, no, he's not. Because what you're saying then is Jesus died without a purpose, that he suffered for no reason. Listen, salvation might be cheap to us in that it didn't cost me anything, but it cost the God of this universe everything. And the suffering that he did for me and for you and those whom he has called and chosen cannot even be calculated. Jesus himself, that night in the Garden of Gethsemane, pleaded with the Lord as he was sweating so bad it looked like blood that was pouring from him. And he said, God, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, but your will be done. As we come to a close, you have to ask yourself, and especially those of you who are listening by radio, what did you do? What did you do? If you claim to be a believer, do you understand what it was that you were fleeing from? Do you understand your own sin? Do you understand what it is that you've been forgiven and saved from? Because if you don't, you need to revisit that, my friend. Do you care? To those of you who have never heard, maybe the things you've heard me saying, oh, that's just that fire and brimstone preaching. No, I quoted enough scripture to back it up. It's God speaking. It's God. But the Bible still tells me it's not God's will that any would perish. But that all would come to repentance. So the question is, is do you care? And if you've never made that confession and you feel that pricking in your heart, that tapping on your shoulder of the Holy Spirit, then my, here's what I would tell you, my friend. Answer the call. Answer the call. Let God put at rest your record. Let him impute his righteousness to you, which is what happened there at Calvary, and your sins be imputed to him. What an exchange. How could you say no to such a deal? Your wretchedness, your 
ungodliness, your sin, your stained life that's broken and dis, dismembered in so many ways. He says, I'll take that and you can have my perfect life. You can have what I have done. And not only do you get that, not only will you be righteous before God, but you will be justified just as if you had never sinned. Clean, white, holy. Because the Lord said, be ye holy, even as I am holy. How's that possible? Through the imputation of the righteousness of Christ by faith alone. There's no list I can give you of here's what you need to do, but I can certainly tell you here's what you need to believe. Repent and believe the gospel. It's that simple. It's that simple. And that is the gospel, my friends. Oh, it's bad news for some. Because mankind will flee in his unforgiven state. He will run from the, life, the light of God because he loves darkness. But God has made a way through Jesus Christ, through the cross of Calvary, through the blood which he shed and through his life that you don't have to worry if you'll heed the call and take that gift that he's offering you. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And Lord, we thank you this morning for the good news that we have in you. That Jesus came and took upon him the sins of us all and imputed his righteousness to us. That we might spend eternity with you, Father, in heaven. That we would pass from judgment to life. That our lives, which are broken and stained with sin, Lord Father, would be made white as snow. And we would have a new vision, a new purpose knowing that Jesus is forever at the right hand of the Father, interceding for the saints. And we with Paul can say, if God be for me, who can be against me? That's what we want, Lord. Father, we ask that you would draw them, those whom you have chosen, to yourself. Glorify yourself in that, Lord Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord.